Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, and joining me today is Mark Kastner. Say hi, Mark. Hello. Susie Rance. Hello. And Mickey Turner. Hey, guys. It's been a while. It has been a while. We haven't... We, this is... I love... Like, every time we do this, it's like a new, a new uh, collection. Like, it's... Uh, New, a new combo um lots of familiar faces but uh making it work in new and exciting ways that's the sounder heart way i guess <laughs> so uh it's been a oddly bit like this is off season picked up a lot over the last week um i'll do a quick recap for everyone in case you haven't been paying attention but the i think the only official news is that chris henderson has officially left the Sounders to take a uh, essentially to take the GM job at Inter Miami. He's carrying the title of sporting director, which implies that it's a lateral move. But I've been, but it, it's the chief soccer officer, which every team in the league apparently gets to name that chief soccer officer whatever they want. Someplace in Seattle, it's president of soccer and general manager Garth Logaway. And you go down. Sometimes it's technical director. Sometimes it's sporting director. Anyway, they all it's. All that matters is what's who's at the top of the soccer org chart, and Chris Henderson will be at the top top of the uh, soccer org chart uh, in Miami. Anyway, and then there's a bunch of unofficial news out there. Uh, the most notable is Jordan Morris. Looks like he's going to go on loan to Swansea City. Uh, I I've been able to confirm that that's a real thing that is probably going to happen. It's not finalized yet, but it definitely looks to be going that way. Um, then. On the more unconfirmed level, there's Kellen Rowe coming to the Sounders. Uh, I say more unconfirmed. I don't know that that's that's probably an unfair way of putting it. He's my understanding is he's coming here. Um, I don't I don't think the idea was for him to be a starter, but it's starting to look like that might be the case. Um, and then uh, somewhere I don't know that we have to get into this, but a nice piece of business for the Sounders. Henry Wingo has joined uh, the Hungarian team that eliminated. Molda from uh, Champions League, Baron Vakos. I want to say no, Baron Just the, the the first the first place team in Hungary. That's the first place team in Hungary. Yeah. they're like the un the <laughs> unbeatables, uh, the invincibles of Hungary right now. They're twelve zero and two, and look like they are well on their way to putting themselves in place for. They'll probably be playing in Champions League qualifying and uh maybe being champions league next year and that that's a deal that netted that molda got a, almost a million dollars uh that's like a crazy fee to think that henry wingo transferred a million dollars the sounders apparently had a 20 percent sell-on fee so the Sounders are going to collect like two hundred thousand dollars out of that they also sold him la- to molda last year for two hundred fifty thousand dollars henry wingo bringing four hundred fifty thousand dollars to the sounders that did not have that one uh that's that's a, not a bad chunk of change for the Sounders. Yeah, well, I was surprised that's... to see that one uh, just briefly before we get into all the other good stuff. Uh, is uh, is that allocation money? Um, do you know how that's allocated? Uh, that's a good question. I my suspicion is that it can be converted into allocation money because I think that's I I think that's a standard thing for any transfer money that comes in. I don't know that for certain, but it's a it's something I need to find out. You're right. Uh, I because it's it does change the equation uh you know it's all nice and good for the sounders to be able to balance their books but i would much rather them be able to put that 
those books on like that money on the field and and really i uh, when you're talking about those kinds of sums being able to put it into your salary cap is probably more important than being able to like pay off a couple salaries uh, of your academy coaches or something yeah that's when he gets you one kellen row apparently uh, right <laughs> yeah yeah i will say this about kellen row my understanding is that the deal he's on for the sounders is very team friendly and so my the way i understand that is probably under two hundred thousand. um so that's you know like he's on a number where you're not necessarily expecting him to start uh but the but man, the roster, the Sounders are looking like right now, as you look at the Sounders today, I don't blame anyone for being kind of down on the way this offseason has been uh, to not, it's like not just losing Jordan Morris. It's not just losing Chris Henderson. You take either one of those things in a vacuum. And I think you think, okay, we can overcome this, but losing Jordan Morris and then the guy whose job is to essentially replace Jordan Morris. That's tough. Not not literally replace him. Not on the literally, field. but the, he's the guy who has to find yeah. his replacement. Forces <laughs> us in the uh, in the media game every year. So, right, yeah, we also lost a ringer from the media game. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm definitely a little. I wouldn't say concerned. I would say you know there, an eyebrow's been raised about how the offseason has gone, such that it's been this year. Um, it's just you know losing Morris. I think it was it came out a little bit out of the blue for me because. He had at no point really expressed that he was had this burning desire to go over to Europe. Um, and then all of a sudden this offseason, he starts to get the rumbling. And, you know, fair play to him. He's, again, 26 years old, and this is probably his best uh, last chance to go over there and, and make an impact. So I certainly don't begrudge him for making the move. But for me, it comes out of nowhere a little bit. And you're right, they're going to have a hell of a time replacing him given the constraints that Garth has said that they are in. Uh the one thing I was, you know, wanting to look at is what, you know, he, his contract was team friendly um, for the last three years, but I think it was scheduled to take a bump this year, um, probably into the TAM range. So getting that off the books for the next six months probably is, yeah. is, is helpful. I saw somewhere and I don't remember where it was, but I saw somewhere that he had hit a bunch of clauses. He had hit a bunch, like, I know he had a bunch of escalators in his contract and apparently he hit a bunch of them this year. And, and so I think his salary was going to be over a million dollars and maybe as high as 1.2 million. So if you clear half his salary off the books, you know, that's $600,000 between, and then, and that's a bunch of Tam as well. So I would think at the very least, worst case scenario, the Sounders are in position that they can make a significant addition in the summer. My, my concern from a competitive standpoint is that they're probably disinclined to spend much of that now if for no other reason than like the transfer market is weird, but then they also lose, they lost the guy who's going to be like chiefly in charge of evaluating the talent that they'd be bringing in. So they probably want to give some time and space to kind of figure out what direction they want to go. I mean, I feel like the best case scenario is they go out and find an MLS veteran at this point. I don't, I don't know that my, my hopes are any higher than that. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, it being alone is probably the best thing for Jordan Morris. It makes it so much harder too for the Sounders to um, really plan yeah. too significantly. I, I also just wonder, you know, thinking about this being a surprise, I'm just going back to that a little bit. I, I have to wonder if just the craziness of 2020 and COVID just makes players think a little bit differently about their careers and their futures and 
maybe be a little bit more open to taking a risk like this. I'm not in Jordan Morris's head, but it's definitely something I would have in mind. Well, and you've got a potential labor uh, issue coming <laughs> coming up. Yeah. We'll talk about later, but that's certainly something to take into account. I mean, I, I think this was, it makes sense in a lot of ways that 20, the 2020, the, the preseason before or the off season before 21 was the time for Morris to make this change in that, like you said, he's 26. He's coming off the best year of his career. You know, he's getting ready to go into a World Cup qualifying cycle. And so there's probably some underlying pressure to move up if you can do that. And then, like you said, there's the whole COVID situation. And I think that like the, the, like you, your window is only so big to make this move and a six month loan for Jordan, I think makes a lot of sense because he gets to get his foot in the pool. If it works out, he potentially sets up a better move either to the premier league with Swansea or somewhere else. Like there's a lot of reasons to think it's a good move for him, but like Susie said, for the Sounders, it really kind of sucks because they can't make any sort of long-term planning as long as they think Jordan might come back. And my yeah. guess, uh, just marking, you can go ahead, uh, is that they're going to hopefully rely on some of their youth to make to make a jump um, and see if one of the kids pans out. I mean, they've tried that in the past. Uh, it hasn't really turned out so well. They've had to go out and get uh, replacements. Uh, but that seems like a, a way they probably are going to go and a play a way they were probably going to go before this news came out anyway. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't see kind of like, I, I definitely think there's a risk in, in allowing Jordan Morris to go on loan for six months. And, and it does kind of, kind of tie their hands in the short term, but um at least since Garth Lagaway has been general manager of the Sounders, he he's never been one to uh to take the to take the short term over the long term so if if kind of like the best case scenario in in this situation i think for both jordan and the team quite frankly is if he goes over there does well and is either sold to swansea for whatever kind of the agreed agreed upon prices with the option to buy or you know, he makes a name for himself, you know, scoring double digit goals in 20 games or whatever, and gets a move to kind of a mid table German team, maybe, maybe a mid table premier league team or something like that. That way there's, you know, kind of a large transfer fee coming in, probably a team record transfer fee at that point. Um, and then you can kind of evaluate what to do in the summer and, we do have this, this uh, one, we're still in a pretty bad pandemic. So uh, there's not going to be fa- like, even if the season does start in March, like there's no revenue kind of coming in from gate receipts and whatnot for the team. Um, and then we have kind of an ongoing labor dispute that nobody really seems to know how serious both sides are. So, um, you know, kind of, I guess before this, this transfer rumor kind of came about for Jordan, I was okay with one, one winger position kind of being, being the, the one that kind of is experimental. But now I think like maybe Garth does have to change his approach a little bit and, and try to try to figure out like, um, is there, is there a trade that can be made, you know, for instance, uh, completely opposite, 
positions and whatnot, but um, you know, Maxia Rudy was just traded from uh, Montreal to uh, Houston in exchange for uh, Kiki Struna and, you know, some other, uh, you know, monopoly bucks and whatnot. But like, is that, is there a player of like Maxia Rudy quality out there in MLS that can be kind of, got and brought in you know similar to actually when the sounders traded for will bruin and for harry ship a few years ago um they almost have to make a move like that and i don't think that that's kellen Rowe. i would agree that it's not kellen Rowe. i mean i think that they're probably hoping that kellen can kind of regain the form that he showed as recently as two years ago but it's been too like you can't sign a kellen Rowe and think like well, if he can just do what he did two years ago, well, that would be acceptable. Well, that's not a plan. Like that's a, yeah, that's a hope, right? That's like, you don't, that's not a, that's not actually strategizing anything. That's just, um, you know, rolling the dice. And I don't think that's what they did here. I, I think they brought in, they're bringing in Roe because they were able to get him at the right price. They think he has something to offer on and off the field but it's probably not to play 2000 minutes. Uh, at least that's my, my hope is not that it's to play 2000 minutes. Yeah. And I think, I think bringing in Kellen Rowe makes a lot like apart from the Jordan Morris thing aside, like he, if, if he's effectively replacing the roster spot vacated by Harry ship and Gustav Svensson, because those are the kind of the two positions that he can play. Yeah, that's fine because you do have, you do have kind of a solidified midfield there with, um, with Christian Roldan and Jao Paulo, who does sound like he's, he's coming back. Um, and then, you know, you kind of allow Danny Leva to emerge and you have Jordy Delem kind of in the center of the park there, but um, yeah, like that, that's, that's where Kellen Rowe has been playing for the last two years in new England is kind of a deeper centered mid spot. So yeah, I think that makes sense, but uh, I don't want to see him on the wing very much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my, I think the best case scenario for Roe is that they try him out at right back and it turns out he's a really good right back. And which would be, again, not a strategy because he has not played right back. So, you you know, like I think that's maybe their hope is like, oh, hey, maybe Kellen Roe can beat out Alex Roldan and all of a sudden we feel. But I will say this, if you want some reason for optimism, I think that reason for optimism is that you still have a midfield of Jao Paulo, Christian Roldan, Nico Ladero. You still have Raul Rui Diaz. You know, those four players give you a pretty strong core uh, on that side of the field. And then on the other side of the field, you have still two really good left backs in Nuhu and Brad Smith. By the way, I know it's been floated out there. I really hope the Sounders are not planning on playing Brad Smith as a, as a left midfielder. He has... It's straight up not an option. Like if, if I hope he's not. Garth, Garth Lagerway is pretty good at his job. I think Brian Spencer's also good at his job. And if they both think that Brad Smith is a left midfielder, then um, <laughs> everything I just said isn't true. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he's. I think Brad Smith is a really good player. the The degree to which he is not goal dangerous is like shocking to me sometimes when you see like he is this between the 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 uh penalty boxes he is as good as anyone right man once he's in that penalty box he like loses his mind like i've never looked a player a player that looks so uncomfortable when it's time to shoot 
he, he just is not a gold dangerous player. And I don't think that's something he's going to develop at 25 or whatever. Uh, but I, and then, I, but you, you, I think their center back situation is still is good. You know, uh, I'm, I'm still very high on Javier Arriaga. Uh, Jamar Gomez Andrade, I think is a top five center back and Shane O'Neill is a fine third center back. There are definitely questions at right back, I think, but I think Alex Roldan and Kellen Rowe and whatever else they figure out, I think you put that together. But if you can figure out those two wide midfield spots, you're in great shape. I still think this is a playoff team, but it's hard to say that looking at them now that they're an MLS Cup contender, I don't think that you can make that argument with a straight face. Especially, the, especially when the team that beat them uh, has already reinforced themselves. Uh, oh. uh, Kevin Molino. Uh, yeah. Which is, wow, that's uh, you know an impressive. And Bradley game. Wright Phillips. Yeah, Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, <laughs> and so. Aiden Morris is the is the reincarnation of Pirlo, apparently, apparently. That we found out. That was unfortunate to learn because they don't now they don't even need Darwin to Nagby, which they right. already had. Right, they can sell him <laughs> for like a million in allocation money and just buy something else, I guess. Uh, and just perusing the free agent list, I mean, there's not a whole lot there, although obviously it's a bit better off than it was in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, you got like Darren Maddox and, you know, Freddie Montero. Uh, and there was a couple of a couple other ones that were kind of, you know, you know, serviceable players potentially, but they're probably going to be too expensive for what the Sounders are going to want to do, especially if they're going to want to keep flexibility open this summer. If the Morris loan doesn't, you know, pan out and they have and they end up having to bring them back. They're going to leave, need to leave that salary slot open, at least to some degree, I, I would guess, unless they figure they can move them elsewhere. Um, but yeah, it's it, the wings are definitely a, an issue um, more so obviously now that uh, Morris is, is about to take off. Uh, and there's at least in, in the league without a trade, there's not a whole lot out there at the moment. Well, this is something, and I, I don't know, Susie, maybe you can weigh in on this. The one player we haven't talked about who probably deserves to be talked about is Will Bruin uh, or we mentioned him, but we did not mention him as a starter. You know, they've got a pretty decent option. They don't play. They don't currently aren't set up to use Will Bruin alongside Raul Rui Diaz, but is there a scenario where maybe they, they can use Will Bruin as a starter and it makes this assemblage of talent make more sense? I was going to say that I would, I would be interested to see them try to start um, like to think about that. I thought I was actually, really surprised in was it the Minnesota game in the playoffs when Bruin and Rui Diaz were in on the field together and they looked like they played together all the time like they were really in sync and running off of each other well so it was intriguing to see that um you'd obviously have to think a little bit about a different formation um I don't want and I know this is not what you're saying Jeremiah but I don't want Will Bruin to play on the wing obviously so (laughs) like whether he's like a withdrawn forward that sits right underneath him or or um, they think about that. I'd be really intrigued by that. Just um, I'd like to see them give it a shot early and see how it works. I mean, I could see this team setting up in sort of a five, three, two, three, five, two formation that you can kind of see the pieces a little bit making sense. I don't think they have the center back depth to do that, but you can't, you could see, you know, to get their five bet or their, sorry, their 10 best outfield players on the field together you could put a three-five-two together that I think makes some, you know, uh, formational sense. But I don't know that that's a lineup that you open that you think like this is how we're going to get through the whole season with. 
It would my mean dream. that Mark could get his dream of new who at center back. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly what I was just going to say. Sorry. <laughs> my, my dream of, of new who being a left-sided center back in a back three would have to come true. And I could see it, but uh, at the, also the same time, I don't, I don't know if, I think if you're doing that, then you're, you're excusing kind of so much of the front office's planning in this off season. And you're just kind of like, you're just punting until the summer and you're just seeing what's going to (laughs) happen. And I don't, I like, I love that. And I also don't want to cover that team at all (laughs) (laughs) because it's going to make me so mad. Um, but then I then also like if you're doing that, then you're you're telling players like uh, Shandon Hopia, like, sorry, you don't really have a position to win here. Um, see ya <laughs> or whatever. And then I like I and and even when you kind of have the players to play with a back three or a back five, it's never looked good under Brian Smetzer. So um as fun as as fun as it is to think about in football manager terms or FIFA terms, right. like it's not. I don't think it'd ever work. Well, what I do think I, the, Go oh, ahead, Susie. I was just gonna say, to me, the most realistic, if the season is starting on time, is that you might see rolled on Christian rolled on play on the wing at least to start. Um, but I would hope by that time they also have brought in a, another player or two. But you might. That's like a pretty safe option that we know has worked yeah. in the past. So. Yeah, well done. Pretty decent on the wing. He can he can do a job. I mean, I think we all agree it's not his best position, but in a pinch, yeah, maybe used and the, before. And he's played well there. And and the frustrating thing about that is, if Jordan Morris is going to leave, and Christian and Christian staying, and Gustav Svensson's also leaving, it's now is finally the time where you say, okay, Christian Roldan is your best starting central midfielder. And then you're telling him that he has to play on the wing again. Like (laughs) that's not, that's also not good management of the, of the team and the resources. So um, like all these solutions, I think make a ton of sense. If that's, if the, if these are the, you know, if this is the 18 players that we're looking at well, to field, is, if, field a roster, but if it was September and the window was closed and Jordan Morris got hurt and this was the roster you were left left with, this is maybe the decision-making process that you go through. But I think the point you're making is that you shouldn't be deciding that this is the direction you're going on January 18th, where you still have at least two months. Well, presumably you have at least two months before the season starts. So there's, there's some planning that you can still do to get a, to not use these players as your starting lineup. And I, I think that's a valid, that's a valid point. Like we need, the Sounders need to want <laughs> to make some changes, I think is what we're saying. Right. Maybe they want to take a gap year. Right. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, we've all done it, right. Along those lines. I mean, they were talking, uh, they've been talking off season about, giving the kids a run finally. Yeah. Um, and this seems now like the opportunity to do that and to see what they have in some of those kids who have now been here for three years, uh, coming up on three years in the case of like Ocampo Chavez and, and, and Leva. Um, and so I think they're well within the rights to let them give them a chance to sink or swim. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is probably the time to do that now given the constraints that they're under 
uh, with the budget and finances generally. And and I think it would I think I would feel a lot better if it was just like I felt a lot better about that before the Jordan Morris thing came out because I was okay with the idea of you know Dobaleri, uh, Hopiao, Ocampo, Chavez, and maybe Rowe competing for one starting spot, and now you're looking at those four players maybe competing for two starting spots. And that's a lot. I think that's a big difference. Um, That said, you know, this maybe is a good time to transition into all this, you know, we've been alluding to it all this time, but what are you, what's your sense of how things are going with the CBA, Mickey? Oof. Um, It's, it's complicated because again, they have a CBA agreement right now. Uh, They could start the season, um, announce the preseason schedule, announce the start of the season, uh, COVID or no, and be ready to go uh, when that happens. And so this is, you know, essentially based on MLS, the league that is uh, deciding that they needed to, to squeeze a few more pennies um, out of the union, uh, more than a few pennies, uh, according to Foose on his uh, conference call is around hundred million. And so, uh, you know, that's the a player, billion pennies. Yeah, yes, that is good. That's quite a, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that math. Uh, I'll let the, one of you guys uh, handle that, but so, so you've got, you've got MLS trying to, to, you know, turn the screws a little bit. Um, and then you've got the MLSPA, which has, I think, not been as, you know, as efficient or as ruthless as they could have been in prior negotiations. And to the, and to be fair, this most recent one, um, when they came back in January and came to the agreement early, um, all sides pretty much hailed it as a pretty great agreement. And then you got to COVID and then, you know, MLS renegotiated the deal because they hadn't ratified it yet. And that left a sour taste in the union's mouth. And so that kind of informs um, this discussion as to whether we think the union is at a place where they're sick of it and are just ready to say, all right, fine, we've got an agreement in place. If you want to rescind it and lock us out, go ahead. Uh, we're prepared to go file a bunch of lawsuits. Um, and and I'm not sure they're at that point yet. They've gotten close before, but have never pulled pulled the trigger on that. Um, and so it's it's an open question to me as to whether they really are have that stomach for that fight because it would be brutal uh, for everyone uh, because we're not getting to watch soccer. They're not getting paid to play soccer, and the league isn't getting uh, you know fulfilling their TV contract with soccer. So. Uh, it's kind of a mutually assured destruction, and that's you know kind of what happens when these labor stoppages happen. Um, you know, everyone loses. Uh, you know, at least in the short term. So, is your understanding? It sounds like what you're saying is that the MLSPA may actually fight the legality of MLS invoking the force majeure. Which, well, I guess maybe they've already they've already done that, but they're gonna they're yeah. going to they're going to challenge if, if MLS actually tries to lock out the players that the players union you think would have a, at least have a legal argument. Yeah. That, they, they would say they've reserved the res, uh, reserve the right to, to uh, challenge the force majeure because essentially force majeure requires them to negotiate in good faith right. for 30 days based on, you know, what, again, none of us have seen the, uh, the CBA agreement. So we're, you know, kind of uh, shooting in the dark a little bit, about the term. So, you know, uh, Foose and the player association could be blowing smoke about having really any legal case to, to fight it. Uh, but assuming that they, they have, uh, I think, you know, if, if it comes to that point, um, I think they, they certainly would, uh, leave that option on the table. Uh, 
I think they're also calling the uh, I think they're calling MLS's bluff or they think MLS is bluffing about the lockout. Um, this seems to me a poker game where both sides have terrible hands. Uh, and so you're, you're dealing so with pocket with, twos with, with yeah, yeah, a pair of twos and someone's got like an ace high. It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe you're, you, you get lucky on the river. Um, and so I think that's kind of where they are. And, you know, the reason for that is because of COVID and uh, the fact that MLS is not going to have um, any fans in the stadium um, in any appreciable numbers until the fall probably is my guess based on, you know, what the guidance we've gotten from, from Fauci and, um, and the government officials is that, you know, you're not going to get a significant amount of people vaccinated even until the summertime. So again, you know, what leverage does MLS really have except for making the players' lives miserable? Um, It's not an insignificant amount, but are you really going to lock them out over that when you get to the CBA? I don't know if you have the answer to this, but my understanding of the, of the force majeure is that it's, it's to invoke that there needs to be an act of God, so to speak. (laughs) And I guess the, uh, and that's what allows them to to do. They can't just do it whenever they want. Like it can't just be like, well, business was bad. So we're going to end the CBA. It has to be something outside their control. And the argument I guess is that you already signed this during a pandemic. It's not a new pandemic. This is the same thing. You knew what you were getting into when you signed this. It's completely unfair for you to say you didn't know this was coming. Yeah. And that's Fus has alluded to that um, in his, in his presser again, that was, that was one thing that you correctly point out that raised my eyebrow is that he noted that they had already built baked this into this particular cake. Um, So it's, it's disingenuous for MLS to say that, oh my God, you know, there's a pandemic here. We are not going to have fans in the stadium. Um, so we need to, you know, have you extend the CBA by a couple of more years. Um, whether that plays out in court, that's going to require some type of lawsuit. <laughs> um, and so, um, again, it's what, and in the meantime, you know, MLS, if that's happening, then MLS is locking them out. Um, right. So the players are not getting paid um, and they're not playing games. So again, that also boils down to whether uh, you know the players' association has the stomach for a prolonged work stoppage, um, where they haven't in the past. And so the other thing that caught my eye was that it it sounds like if they can't come to terms by the end of this thirty days, that they can go into a forced arbitration, like a, a uh, I don't know if it's called forced arbitration or binding ar- arbitration, but that essentially a third party would come in. He'd look at the two offers and essentially negotiate on their behalf like he he would find a middle ground or they would find a middle ground and say like this is what a fair deal is for both sides is that an accurate depiction or am i misreading it um that doesn't sound like anything that the players would would have agreed to um just because that yeah, you know, arbitrations tend, tend to find, uh, to favor uh, management in, in right. most of those situations. And then you've got a pandemic on top of that. Because the player's uh, position yeah, that, is nothing needs to change, right? Yeah. The, and we've, the, you know, the position is we've already taken those sacrifices and baked them into the 2021 season. Uh, so what has changed here? Um, mm-hmm. And, but again, we haven't seen the, what number one triggers the force majeure specifically. And number two, what it requires them to do. And importantly, number three, the options that are out there once this 30-day window, quote unquote, um, expires. Because according to Foos, there's nothing that requires them to do anything within 30 days. 
they're just required to negotiate again in good faith, but you know, it's not on day 31, there's a labor stoppage or work stoppage. Right. At least as far as we know, that's who's the position. MLS obviously has a different position on this. So if you had to look into your crystal ball and, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but knowing that, <laughs> that we, we weren't so good at predicting this last year, but what, what do you think? Is there, do, are we like, when do you think the season's actually going to start? Oh, well that completely different questions. I think. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, my, my, my thought has always been that they're not going to start the season until May. Um, oh. But that has nothing to do with the labor stoppage. That's just my somewhat cynical belief that they're going to hold off as long as possible to get as many fans in the, in the stands as they uh, possibly can because their TV contract is, is so uh, you know, nominal. Uh, they don't get much of anything that helps them operate. I mean, you know, $3 million a year, obviously we'd all take that and, and run with it. But for a, uh, a major uh, a sporting um organization it's it's not a whole lot of money yeah it's um it's like a quarter of the salary cap or not the quarter of the salary spend i should say exactly and yeah that was the other thing that was raised is that there's a lot of discretionary spend built into this cba which does which means that teams are not required to spend if they don't want to so if they don't want to go out and buy uh, a dp or two or three they are not required to and whether that i don't think that necessarily affects whether you know there's a labor stoppage or not but it's an, it's an argument that, you know, there's plenty of money for teams to save if they, if they think things are going to get bad this year again. Well, and it, that is one of the interesting elements of this is that it's not like MLS teams writ large are sitting on their hands and not making signings. It's, you know, like inter Miami went out and spend like $50 million on Gonzalo Higuain last summer. Um, like if you guys are hurting for money, maybe don't spend $50 million on a player where you, who can't play in front of fans. I don't know. I'm not, I'm yeah. not your bookkeeper, but that's like right there. That's like half the money they're looking to, sp- to save over the course of this entire CBA. Well, that also kind of cuts against our argument. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying is that it's like, who, like, I don't know. It just feels a, a bit like, like on one hand, I'm sympathetic to the idea and I'm, I'm sure MLS was, was counting on this. The idea that like, look, we're not asking you to take a pay cut this year. Look, look at how good we are. We're, you don't even have to take, you don't even have to take a pay cut this year. Just give us two more years on the same deal. And, and like, I guess cynically you could say like, oh yeah, what's the big deal about that? But all these players are talking about eating raises, if that's the case. Like, and I guess you could argue that this player pool, the, the players on in today's pool don't aren't having money taken out of their pocket, but you know, you're, you're talking about a, a fair amount of money on the back end that is, is potentially lost. Um, and, and I almost wonder if MLS just thought that the players would be so thrilled to not take a pay cut this year that they thought they could get away with this. Yeah, it's been, I mean, MLS's you know strategy is is always been <laughs> subject to uh, to scrutiny and review, um, and, you know. But again, they have a pretty good record in these in negotiations. Just generally speaking, with the CBAs, they seem to more often than not get what they wanted. Uh, you know, as evidenced by what happened over the summer, when you know they really strong armed the players into um, you know into really negotiating that deal. And you know, Fus has said that that has basically uh, you know damaged the trust between the players and the owners irrevocably irrevocably um you know whether that's the case or not is, is another issue but it's it's definitely you know put a damper on you know their working relationship which is just, was just six months after they again came to an early agreement on a cba um i just don't i don't know what 
you know, what MLS thinks they're going to get out of locking out, locking out the players, unless yeah. they are, these two extra years are just that important to them. And again, they could just negotiate after that two years, uh, but they obviously want to lock in, you know, the cost, the cost uh, controls um, and, you know, the world cup comes around and the new TV deal comes around and maybe they, you know, you know, increase their TV deal by five or six fold and the players are lo- kind of locked out of that, which is what the, kind of what they want to do. Yeah. Um, all right. Really, well, go ahead. It's really strange. And I know the circumstances are so different, but it's really strange to be in a year where, the NWSL in some, in many ways is far ahead of MLS. Um, we know a proposed schedule. The players are really feeling supported. They felt supported last year. It's just a, it's a weird state to be in. And right well, now that, that, you know, you bring it up and we, we don't have a ton of time left, but I would, what is the state of the NWSL season this year? What's it looking like? What do we know so far? They're um, going to start with another challenge cup for the first, for the month of April. Um, I think to Mickey's point, you know, like really knowing that they can't have fans in the stands trying to push the re- the regular season out as far as they can. So another challenge cup for the first month, and then we'll start in May with the regular season. Um, that's they, supposed to be a full schedule. Oh, and are they, have they announced, have they started and they haven't, I imagine they haven't started announcing dates yet or anything. No, like not yet, but um, you know, increasing some um, like team flexibilities around allocation money um this year which is something that's very new to the nwsl so exciting that they're growing in a year where i'm sure the teams are struggling just like mls but they're like invested in the long term well another example of how the nwsl is a little ahead of mls is that the rs the uh real monarchs ownership situation got settled quickly utah royals utah sorry (laughs) One of, those, one of those one of those royalty teams right exactly <laughs> the team that used to be part of the rsl family uh in the nwsl they're i mean they got moved so it's maybe not a great yeah. solution but it it was like buttoned up very quickly and uh and they and will angel city be playing this year no next year along with sacramento oh, okay, okay. Yeah, which is again, again, Sacramento got announced for NWSL before they have an MLS team. Yeah, yeah. Well, good, good for the NWSL. They deserve to have some positive press. I know that's not what we're talking about, but it's just a rare, rare year that they're so far ahead. (laughs) Well, when when MLS and the Players Association are fighting, we can watch the Challenge Cup and exactly uh, just all become fans of that instead. Probably, yeah. probably more exciting, anyways. <laughs> well, do we do we have any other topics that we needed to? I feel like we hit on all of them at this point. That's yeah, a great. That's a strong. That's strong podcasting. Yeah, language. that's good. Good job, Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's a, a, a seems like a soft note to end on, but uh, I think that's that's what we got for you. Um, it's a it's going to be an interesting off season. I don't know if it's going to get busier from here or if we're going to have sudden quiet, but man, I don't remember. There, this was a week for sure for, uh, for the Sounders. Uh, the draft is next week. The Sounders don't pick until 80th. So there's not a lot going on there. Uh, my Are there even 80 players available in the draft? I think they're exactly 80. <laughs> they're, the Sounders are the second or third to last pick in the draft. Uh, and, and the only reason it's, 
not the like maybe third or, there's maybe three or four picks after the Sounders because there's a few random fourth rounders that are uh, that got plugged in. But the Sounders, my my understanding, is the Sounders are hoping that one of their they have the Sounders have three academy players that are draft eligible. Uh, Jackson Regan, who is a six foot four, something like that, center back out of Michigan. Uh, they've got Paul Rockworth. Oh man, I'm going to start butchering names. And then they got another guy whose name is totally, I'm not going to try to remember, but they have three players who are available. Their hope is that one of them falls to number to 80. That sounds like it's a very optimistic hope though, because all three <laughs> of these players could go relatively early, but I don't know that the Sounders necessarily see any of them as obvious first team players. So that's why they're not offering them homegrown contracts, but um It'll not like again, not not the most exciting uh, point of additions for the Sounders, but this is kind of the bed they've made, and uh, you know maybe there's more room for players coming up from the Defiant. So I guess if you know this, whew, this beginning of the season is going to be an interesting one. I'll say we'll, have, we'll have Dave on to right, talk Dave, about exactly Marlon Vargas and all that. So yeah, exactly, and Ray Serrano, <laughs> the year of Ray Serrano. Uh, What's but, Pablo Rossi up to these days? Can he? Yeah, what we'll to get? New one. We'll <laughs> That's the name of the USL team, actually. I think didn't he? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think I think that's probably why the name was somewhere in my brain. <laughs> well, uh, that's a, that's probably a good place to, to call this a show. Uh, thanks to to Mark, Susie, and Mickey uh, for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. I'm Jeremiah Shan. This is the Center Art Podcast. <laughs>